What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 59 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we will play you some short clips from our recommended listening tracks from last week. In our gear talk, we're going to discuss the main types of pedals, chain drive, strap drive, direct drive. Our featured artist this time is none other than Mr. Will Kennedy. In our gear review section, we'll check out the Forest King wooden snare heads. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh, man. I feel like we're getting closer. I'm actually hanging out at your house now. I know, right? We're live from uh, my home in New Jersey here. That is awesome. And do you have a day off, or what's? why are you home? No, I had to run home to take care of my dogs and oh. uh, set up some stuff to do some product demos. So I figured, might as well just do it at home. Got it. Oops. So you've already been to work today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did this morning. A couple. I mean, it's it's the, uh, it's probably super boring, but it's part of the production cycle where I'm like proofreading text for days on end. So it's it's the the hard part of the gig where I'm right editing every word and and looking up every fact and making sure there's not double spaces after every period. I mean, it's the wow. It's the editor part of my gig. <laughs> you mean the title? <laughs> yeah. Of your <laughs> right. how I introduce us every time and say managing editor Mike Dawson. You actually do that sometimes? Yeah, I'm not product demo guy. I'm not product yeah. review guy. I'm periods and comma guy today. Oh, <laughs> you are so, dude, give them, for anybody that doesn't follow you on social media, give them the rundown on why you've been doing this series on groove meditation. Like, what are you trying to accomplish for yourself through oh, that? Oh, yeah, good question. So, I have a hard time, which is probably common for everyone, of maintaining mental intensity throughout an entire song. And it, it really reveals itself when I'm recording. Like, I can just hear my. I can hear myself lose concentration. The patterns are correct. It's still in time, but something just switches and it's not quite as good. It usually happens around like minute two and a half. Okay. Just something, something it's, it's just something happens where maybe one snare drum is just a little bit slightly delayed. I'm like, there's, that's where my, my brain snapped. I was, so you're really getting into this Shannon forest. Exactly. That's my goal is to be able to just, the intensity through an entire song because it really shouldn't be that challenging you're talking about three and a half minutes of not (laughs) thinking about your breakfast or whatever right right yeah not letting your mind wander yeah it's super hard to do i mean i found some techniques of like singing along to myself kind of keeps me focused or breathing but so what i'm doing is i'm picking different grooves that i love that are not super easy and super familiar and trying to record them with almost no practice. So I'm not like playing this beat for a week and then recording it. I'm basically saying, this is the beat I'm going to do today. Let me just turn the cameras on and see if I can do it for five minutes straight. Got it. With no variation, no fills, no stops, nothing. Just to play one beat as if I'm a drum machine. And I've done three of them. I did um, Steve Jordan, um, is it called Edge of Desire from uh, John Mayer? It's like a 6-8 thing. That was kind of easier because it's a real familiar, comfortable kind of a groove. Then I did Elvin Jones, um, the first part of A Love Supreme, which is kind of mm. like a mambo jazz thing. That was definitely more tricky because it's a lot more involved. And the one I just recently did was a Yogi Horton pattern. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, my gosh, man. This record, it was going to be my pick of the week, but we're already talking about it, so I'll pick something else. But there's a record that my friend uh, Butch Jones, he's been like my my engineering mentor for the past decade. He recorded this David Byrne track 
this David Byrne soundtrack to this, I think it was a musical or a play called The Catherine. Singer of the Talking Heads? Exactly. Got it. He was the engineer on this session. It was like a soundtrack to this, I think it was a play called The Catherine Wheel. And okay. basically it was just David Byrne, Yogi Horton, and a couple other people went in the studio and just made up stuff. And he plays some of the sickest grooves on that record. So if, if Really? I, I would strongly advise everyone that it's weird it's definitely weird stuff it's kind of like um if you took all the songs out of the talking heads and you just had the weirdness of it (laughs) that's what it sounds like so it's a real fast 16th note hi-hat thing with a lot of doubles on the bass drum Mm -hmm. that was torture to try to get through five minutes yeah. Um, without changing. Now, do you have a timer going on, or is it relatively, is it just kind of around five minutes? The first one, I was able to just kind of feel it, but I I have my uh, my monitor for my GoPros over to the left, so I can just see how long it's been. Okay. And I just wrap it up at five minutes. Wow. And I haven't made it through. I mean, it's going to be probably a, an impossible task to be able to play something without, at right. some point, thinking about something else. Right. But Now, do you, are you <clears> doing this? just for yourself or do you also think it might help other people to see like wow could you do this you know i mean do you think it'll cause them to be a little more introspective i hope so it, it actually wasn't wasn't even my idea it was my friend david's idea he wanted i was you know i've been giving some lessons and he just wanted to be able to play along to these grooves that we were working on without having to learn the song like he didn't okay. want to have to invest a couple of hours learning arrangements he just wanted to be able to play the groove right okay so i just did it for him i just did that for well, that's one. really cool i i definitely i feel things the same way like i don't i don't have the time or even honestly the desire to learn squib cakes but i want i always you know i remember being younger and i was like well i want to if somebody says squib cakes i want to play the groove right. but i won't be in a tower of power cover band so i'd like to have it where somebody says give me something kind of like squib cakes and i right. have that reference yeah. give me something like rosanna and i have that reference so i i, I see things similar um but I thought it was a great exercise, and I've seen a lot of really positive response to it, which it could go either way. You yeah. know, we have this we're the ones that are telling ourselves that we need more notes, we need, it needs to be cooler. But when you put yourself out there and see the positive response, it's very cool to see, like, you know what? People still are interested in, in proper drumming. Um, yeah. I would say useful drumming. You know, and I think it's all proper, it just depends on the context. Yeah, I mean, it has more real world application for most people because you're going to have to play a song for five minutes straight yeah. and i've had exactly. some uh i also did it for to give something for non-drummers to play along to mm. so i've had yeah, yeah. i've had some bass player friends who are like man this has been so fun to just put that on and just see if i can Jam. lock in and come up with different parts and not Ooh. noodle so it's been kind of fun i mean i'm going to do a few more let's see what happens i i i kind of assume that if you're willing to watch five minutes of one beat, then you kind of get it. <laughs> you kind of know yeah. what I'm going yeah, for. Yeah, you know, I <laughs> I just went through my uh, my Facebook video stats today because they, they keep track of how long people watch. And it's I, I kind of wish I could get the names of the people that made it four minutes deep right. so that I could say, hey, look, I want to give you something free right. like from my website because – you, you're the, you're what I'm looking for. The people that made it 13 seconds yeah, in, yeah. like even even today, I got a comment. Uh, I put up a video of this thing. It was called "Spicing Up Your Crashes," and it's literally just playing like a little four-stroke rough on the kit into a crash. And and anyways, this guy was like, you know, 
I feel like you're kind of overplaying and it's very busy. And then it's like, well, if you would have got to minute three where I say, hey, guys, I'm clearly overplaying this and it's very busy. <laughs> I already explained this, but you you only made it six, 60 seconds in. You're like, yeah, I got what I needed. I'm out. Yeah. It's like, ugh, so you're going to have to stick around. The one criticism I got, which was awesome, was the guy said, uh, so you learned how to play to a click track. Like, yeah, of course. I mean, that's part of it, but... <laughs> That's the thing is like you just have to let it be. And my thought is this. Maybe and it's not a knock on anyone, but maybe it's okay, I definitely am okay with the fact that maybe you just don't like my playing or you know, or they don't like your playing, but maybe you're just not ready for it at this moment because if I would have had social media when I was much younger, I'm sure I would have said something negative about my feelings of Tony Williams or Elvin Jones at a time that I didn't get it. Yeah. So I was comparing them to Tim Alexander. And it's like, well, this sucks. Yeah. Now that my ears have opened up 20 years later, it's like, ah, I'm glad I didn't have social media because right. I would have typed something <laughs> stupid. And so I, you know, I, but I went through this with Chris Brewer at Meinl because uh, when we put out the four stage practice method two weeks ago or whatever. There was thousands of comments, but that one negative one always is the only one that sticks out. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's just like, just the random, this guy sucks. And it's like, <laughs> come on, dude. I mean, really? <laughs> like, really? Come on. That's out of all the, I mean, we spent, there was so much money and so much production and so much effort that went into this. And that's what you got out of it was like, this guy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. Don't you love it and how it like, takes just one bad apple to ruin the whole batch. Yeah. Totally. And that's the only thing. And then, like, Chris and I had to, like, talk ourselves out of responding. It's like, it's okay. That's his opinion. And it's like, but but he's the same guy that also on the next video said, this guy sucks. And it was Matt Halpern. You yeah, know, and it's like, yeah. okay, you're just that guy. So <laughs> I just wanted to say, man, I've been watching your videos, and I'm just really, I'm enjoying what you're doing, man. So Thank keep you. it up. Yeah. We'll By see. the way, I got the uh, prototype heads yeah. uh, yesterday from Aquarian. Yeah. So, so you went with the clears? Came, <laughs> yeah. I went with uh, five mil clear. Yeah. No, I did not go with clears. But I have, man, I have, they, they sent me four batches of heads. They sent me um, seven, in, seven mil and five mil coated, then reversed that to five mil and seven mil coated. So put this thinner head on the top. Interesting. Uh, then five and seven with uh, less grit in the coating. So the coating's smoother. Then five and five with less grit in the coating, and they're all marked on the on the on the underside of the head. So I know if I find what I really love, I can go, oh, that's it. Um, so I literally just put one on my rack tom yesterday, which was the five and the five, so ten mil total two ply head with less grit in the coating. And right away, I was like, okay, I, I like this a lot. But that's all it is is a thinner head with less coating. So. The, the next step is, well, can I keep this sound without denting it? Yeah, you know? so, yeah right. Um, finding <clears throat> that mix of durability and clarity is really hard because the thinner the head gets, the more click and attack I'm going to get. But then I'm also opening it up to being dented. And my sticks are not – my signature sticks aren't teardrop sticks. They're half-barrel tips, which they're not as bad as uh, ball head tips. Those will dent the hell out of everything. Right. But they, they are more – there's less surface area than there is for a teardrop tip. And so the more surface area, the less denting you're going to get. So um, so we'll see what happens. But I'm excited. I'm gonna, as soon as we get done with the podcast, I'm going to switch all the heads out. And then maybe we can do uh, a little sound demo next week. So Yeah, the durability is really good. Otherwise, if it, if it dents up, then you just use a single-ply coated and not worry about it. Right. Exactly. And that's what I'm looking for is what's that step in between the two. And I also am really curious to find out is – 
the is the grit in the coding muffling it more than i want because i want the attack so um i'm thinking i'm thinking the magic formula is going to be uh, a seven and a five which gives me that's two mil thinner than a normal response to or a normal what's a remos the emperor, emperor coded yeah so it's two mil small so it's not much but that with the less grit in the coding that might give me that attack I'm looking for and still keep the uh, the durability. So we'll see what happens. Man. Cool, that's exciting. Yeah, buddy. Hey, real quick, can we? Uh, since we didn't get a chance to do it last time, do you think we can put in a little audio teaser or clip of the recommended listening we had last week? Absolutely. I was going to do that, except for I don't own um, that Vinny track. Sure, I'll send that to you. Um, so let's just uh, we'll start with yours. Just give them a real quick synopsis of what they're about to hear yeah so last week we talked about uh one track that we would suggest every drummer check out um basically for some just amazing drumming or some amazing concepts and mine was the max roach solo drum composition uh for big sid which i I, i'm imagining probably at least half of the people listening they know that they've heard it before but but the key is have you really studied it have you really got the most out of it because he's He's playing the drums in the most logical, almost like he's he's thinking like Bach. Like everything is very systematic and very symmetrical, and but at the same time, it's still pretty wicked and pretty weird. Like that's that's what I like about his soloing. He's not he's not so clean and precise that it sounds sterile. He's still got some grit. He's still you know he's still from New York City. He's got some vibe. Yeah. So that's the piece. So we're just going to drop in the the main theme. Awesome. I actually went back and watched uh, Steve Smith's version of it. I have his DVD. I can't oh, right. remember. Is it the Jazz Lifetime or uh, the one where John Riley's interviewing him? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and it's it's pretty awesome to watch him play that solo on a 19-piece kit. Because uh, <laughs> right. he's got like 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 side snare. Um, and it's just – and it's, it's pretty amazing because Steve Smith always has his own take on it. But uh, – but just knowing where it came from and hearing the original, it's just absolutely amazing. All right, and my clip was from Mr. Vinnie Caliuta. The band is called Charisma, spelled with a K. And this clip that we're going to put in is just going from the first chorus into the second verse. And you will get to hear pretty much in my mind everything that makes Vinny Vinny. So let's give it a listen. So that track, when I listened to it, it was, I don't know if it makes it easier or harder to figure Vinny out because he doesn't repeat himself, but yet he still does stuff that it's like, that's obviously Vinny Cayuta. 
It, yeah. I don't know that I – I guess you could transcribe a lot of it, but I don't know that I would want to. Like it's no, not, I mean that's it's the most magical. It's the opposite of the end of the Sting song to me of, of Seven Days. Yeah, it's it's just it, I I wish they would have called the track Vinnyism because it's a bunch of isms, but it's not like you said. It's not repeated. It's not. It's so free, man. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty cool. So and his freaking rim clicks, Jesus, dude, <laughs> they are sampled. By the way, I think we were actually just talking behind the scenes just now but i i'm assuming this is part of the podcast now because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's the point of the podcast we're letting people in on our normal weekly phone conversation yeah, but uh, yeah those are the f-bombs <laughs> <laughs> we didn't f-bomb it did it or did i no 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 okay um but but no like <laughs> that by the way that is always the shock when people come to drum camp for the first time and they're like uh you just cussed. I'm like, oh, bro, I am so monitored for, for social media. Yes, I have a potty mouth. I am sorry. If I just ruined everything for you, I'm not, I'm not walking YouTube. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Even Remy agrees. Remy's yeah, like, my cuss, Mike, cuss. He's cussing at the mailman right now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I think those are great tracks, especially what I really like about it is I think for the people, and we do have to assume there are people out there that don't know who Max Roach is or don't know who Vinny Caliuta is, maybe just know the name. I feel like we, we gave them like, okay, we can't capture it in one clip. But at least I feel proud saying this is Max, this is Vinny yeah, in right. those moments. Uh, there's, I mean, if that's what you can hear in, in 20 seconds of each one of those guys, imagine what you would hear if you actually really studied them. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's move forward. Uh, let's talk about some gear stuff. So I wanted to help our listeners understand the difference between the types of pedals that are out there available to them. Our, our main versions that we have and we're not talking about the cams or the footboards but just the drive of the pedal and you might hear that a lot it's a it's a chain drive it's a strap drive it's a direct drive those are our three main types of driving the pedal forward so what we're talking about is the attachment between the footboard and the beater how is that beater making its way towards the drum head something has to pull it down and that can be a chain it can be a strap or it can be direct drive. So I wanted to just break those three down. Uh, I'll start with chain drive, then you can go into strap. Um, So with chain drive, what you have is either a single chain, like they had, um, I would say probably Intel, really DW and Pearl made the move to double chain, but you have a chain that is pulling down the beater. And that chain generally is hooked into teeth on the cam. And when you press down on the beater, that chain pulls the beater towards the head. So that's a chain drive pedal. And the plus of that, especially with a double chain, is that it's very stiff. It's not going to move side to side a lot. Single chain, if you've ever had one of those, they can move side to side a little. I don't think that – I think Mike and I can talk about it individually, but I don't find any of these to be better or worse. I just no. find them to be different mechanisms. The one downfall of a chain drive, I guess, would be if you're really sloppy with your playing, the chain can kind of fold in on itself and buckle a little bit on the way back. That's honestly, that's never happened to me, but that can happen. The other thing is that it's metal and it's hooked into the teeth of the cam. So it can wear out and you will never know that it wore out. It will just snap on you one day. Once again, I've never, eh, maybe I have had my chain break once or twice, but very rarely if you keep, you know, your pedal in good shape, it shouldn't be too bad. Uh, so that's a chain drive. Now, all of these still have to have a spring. So the thought of having this, this pedal that you're using that just 
has random tension on it unless you're using the boa system from back in the day that's not going to happen so they all have a spring and they all have a footboard and they all have the normal chain parts but the chain drive is a chain hooked to a cam and it pulls it down all right so i think one of the one of the downsides of a chain drive is you're always going to have a bit of a grind to the one the chain is moving over that cam and and strap drive which is our second option is what kind of gets rid of that a strap drive is more old school where they used to actually use a leather strap that would go over the cam. Um, and, but those would stretch and those would tear over time. So then they started using nylon, kind of like a, like a belt or like a whatever, you, whatever it would be, like a backpack arms. Right. And that's I've found that those have been really, really strong. If you're a super heavy-duty player, you're, you might still tear them and, and break them. But given my my... You know, my, my optimum choice, I would use a strap drive pedal because for me, it has a more realistic response to your foot. Like it, it, it kind of just feels smoother for me. It feels more, um, as opposed to the next one you're going to talk about, it still gives you the power and the resistance that I am used to and I need, but right. I don't feel that little bit of grind that I get from a chain. All that said, modern day pedals are made so well now that they are so smooth and so durable. And so, I mean, I, I'm not picky anymore, but when I first started, it was like, do I use the Speed King? Do I use the DW5000? Right. There weren't many options, and there were clear differences between all of those. Um, so, yeah, strap drive pedals, I think, is often an overlooked option, I think, because they're just not marketed anymore very well. But right. I think that, I mean, Dweckel, I'm pretty sure, still uses them. Um, I think Steve Smith still uses them. Yeah. And also, just so you guys know, uh, not to interrupt, but strap drive and belt drive, if you hear those terms, those are the same thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I would take a look. I mean, if you like the DW5000 pedal, but you're getting a little bit of grind, then check out a a belt drive version. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about calling DW uh, today and just ordering. I I, I honestly don't know. I haven't looked to see, do they make the 5000 as a strap drive? Um, I mean, I'm sure they do, but I... I'm pretty sure it's still looked. available because that's what I used okay. to use. Um, hmm. It was my favorite pedal. Yeah. No, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it lasted. I mean, it, it eventually what happened was the holes where it's connected to the cam started to like stretch out. And I'm assuming that you could just call DW and order a strap. Yeah. Right? They must make replacement straps. Super easy. Just like they – Right. Yeah. So I, I know that um, – I'm, I'm actually thinking about that. The other thing I've noticed is – in camp, we have all double chain uh, chain drive pedals here for for the campers. Excuse me, mm-hmm. on their go anywhere practice pad kits. A lot of drummers play with a push to the side, and they are grinding it nonstop. Yeah. And I can hear it when they play. And I'm like, "Hey, your foot actually is pushing to the side." And I don't know if it's just because maybe they would do that on their own kit or wouldn't. Maybe, but but I mean, I, I really I'll be here working on the computer while they're practicing something. And I'm hearing this like. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll look over, and sure enough, their foot is pushing to the side and just grinding nonstop. And that's why I like that vector pedal. Because <clears throat> oh, it allows yeah. you to play with that sort of off-center positioning, but the the chain stays perfectly aligned. And that's my main wow. pedal now, the vector. I think it's called the G3. I'm not sure. But it, the footboard can turn a little bit. So if you want to play that way, which is a more natural position for your foot, it won't, it won't pull the chain to the side. But it's, nice. still, it's still a single chain drive pedal. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about the third option, which is direct drive, and we can both chime in here. So DW obviously just came out with their new direct drive 
uh, pedal. Who? Uh, so it's the Pearl Demon Drive. Is that a direct Demon drive? Drive? Yep. The classic. Obviously, Axis. Axis Ludwig um, Speed King is probably the original. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've never enjoyed the feel of a direct drive. It's and the reason why is it's too responsive and too fast for me. I don't get any resistance on it, and. I can see how that would be a huge plus for a metal drummer or somebody that's really interested in immediate speed. If they think right. it, it happens. For some reason, maybe it's because I grew up on different pedals. It's it's too fast for me. Yeah. Uh, it feels yeah. it's too light. I can't. And then if I and you would think, well, if it's too light, then just uh, tension up the spring a little bit. Then it's too bouncy, and then I make the beater longer, and then it hits me in the shin, and <laughs> right. I'm just like, what the hell? This pedal is too. I, Clearly, I'm not meant for this. So even though they are amazing pedals, uh, it's never really worked for me. But let me explain what it is. So a direct drive pedal is where you take that strap or you take that chain and you get rid of it. And you connect a single piece of something between the beater and and the pedal board. So you have this direct drive. There's no possibility of it to stretch or for it to move side to side. It's just a, a piece of metal connecting the two. And I'm not quite sure why. I wonder if it's just the name Direct Drive. But Direct Drive pedals jump up like $300 past <laughs> chain drive and strap drive. Is it because they also re-engineered the entire pedal? or it's Do you be, even know? Yeah, I mean, the DW is a whole different design. <laughs> right. Look That's at it, a it redesign, even, yeah. It doesn't even look like a DW pedal. It's got like no. a uh, motorcycle kind of footboard and... Yeah, it's a totally different machine. I think now, because have you it played all, that yet? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I'm kind okay. of the same way. The machine drives are just they're just transparent. Anyways, uh, that break was brought to you by Purina Dog Chow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same as you. The direct drive transparent is a perfect word. It's it seems like there. It, I'm just playing in the air. It's like yeah. it's like air drumming for my feet. Once again, if I was playing. You know, sixteenth notes at two sixty BPM in a metal song. That's exactly what I would want. Yeah, exactly. So that, there's a reason why they exist. But uh, it, it, I'm not a big pedal guy as far as what I look for is durability. I will figure out the action eventually. So even when I get to a, a clinic and they just have, they obviously they always get me the DW nine thousand pedal because they think I want DW's top of the line, which means that the next clinic I do or the next festival I do, they'll probably have that direct drive pedal there for me. And right. to them, whoever's putting it on, they're like, "Look, we got you the goods." And I'm like, "Oh, do you have like like the PDP one? I really <laughs> like that. You know, I like the resistance." I. I uh, and I've just I think there's this this ego thing that's like, please do not take my hard work away from me by giving the credit to the pedal. Like, well, if I had the nine thousand, I'd uh, it's yeah. like no no no. I'll do it with the PDP, I'll do it with the Pearl P one hundred, whatever. <laughs> so anyways, um I think they're all great, but I just wanted everybody to know what they are, why they exist, and I think actually, like I said, I think I'm gonna call and order a strap drive just to see if I can feel the difference between that and my five thousand yeah, um, I think you'll like it. Yeah. I mean, if if you haven't used it before, I think you'll like it. I don't think you'll yeah. notice it, but it'll be just no. comfortable. Yeah, I'm looking for, and I'm just looking to not have. I think you said you said it well. Like, I just don't want to have any grinding, and I've yeah. got so many people other than myself playing my drum set throughout the summer. Uh, I don't want them pushing my pedal to the side and grinding it down. So, yeah, yeah. awesome. All right, well, let's get into our featured artist. This one is extremely personal for me. So. Earlier this month, Mike got to talk about his guy, uh, Shannon Forrest, and today we get to talk about my guy, Mr. Will Kennedy. Will uh, ha- has been one of my favorite drummers for a very long time. You guys had a, a, 
a short feature on him in this month's in the October October issue, right? Yeah, is that where we're at? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, the one with Shannon on the cover. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing that I'm really excited about, I've been a huge fan of Will since I was a kid. I got to study with him privately for about two and a half years. And we'll talk about that later. But one thing that I'm really excited about is I don't feel like this article was going back to his past. I feel like he's really starting to push forward again, which is beautiful because he's always he's one of those drummers that he's never stopped. It's just our acknowledgement of what he's doing sometimes goes in and out. And one thing that really brought him back to a lot of people, which was awesome because people were emailing me like, hey, you got to check out this guy, Will Kennedy. He just sat in with the with Snarky Puppy. I was like, thank you. I'll check him out. But him sitting in with Snarky Puppy for four nights in San Francisco, all of a sudden, Snarky Puppy puts out the videos and everyone wants to know who's the new oh, man. hip drummer. Yeah, I, got like, I mean, that's. <laughs> That's very reminiscent of when the Dave Matthews band came out and people were telling Dennis Chambers that he sounds like Carter Beaufort. That's it. <laughs> Dude, thank you. I so remember that. I totally remember that. You know, I mean, here's Dennis, oh. the guy who invented that. Well, he didn't invent it. It was Billy Cobham and Tony Williams. But Right. And then Carter comes out and just does like a more kind of slick, syncopated version. And now everyone just assumes Carter invented it. And they kind of look right. similar. So it was just – it was – Right, I kind of felt bad for Dennis. It's like this guy just stole your thunder, man. But he, right. you know, he took it in stride. I feel it's probably the same. I, I would assume that those guys in Starkey Puppies studied the Yellow Jackets like crazy. They must have, right? And I mean, the great thing is they did these shows in San Francisco. I haven't talked to Will about it yet, but they did these shows in San Francisco. Will's from Oakland, so he's, he probably had a ton of family there, family and friends, and really cool to see him playing this stuff. And what I loved about it was, in typical Will fashion, he's very, very confident in who he is. So he wasn't in there. I was listening to the tracks that I've seen Sput and Larnell play, and he wasn't trying to cop their parts. He was like, this is what your song would sound like if you had Will Kennedy on drums, which is what I freaking wanted. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to see Will try to be Sput. I've already seen Sput do it. Yeah. I want to see what would Snarky Puppy sound like with my favorite drummer in the band. And it was so awesome, man. It was just – it was amazing because he's just so buttery smooth. And there's certain things he does that no one else can do because – He's left-handed, and the way he plays his right-hand cross stick, and then yeah. it catches the hi-hat on purpose. And there's just these things he does that uh, that's really cool. And so anyway, so I thought it was fantastic. And then that rekindled people to kind of say, oh, man, you got to check out this Cat Will Kennedy. And I'm like, I'll, I'll look into it. He sounds very good. <laughs> Pearl drums, is that it? Uh, okay, cool. I'll check it out. Do you know, anyways, why, do you know why he yeah. left the Yellow Jackets originally? What was the... What was going on? I honestly don't know. So when he left, who went in? Marcus? Uh, no. Um, uh, oh, man. Insert I can name I, here. I can't remember. Yeah. I can see him in my head because he's a fantastic drummer. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I know that when he wasn't in the Yellow Jackets, that's when I started studying with him. And right. I was under the impression that he was still in Oakland. I contacted him. We weren't friends. We didn't know each other at all. And he has a percussionist that plays with him a lot named Gary Stanios. And Gary gave me his phone number. And so I reached out to him and we started talking on the phone. And I had to kind of explain, you know, he's not part of the YouTube world. So I had to explain to him who I am that, you know, I had to convince him that I was serious about the drums. He's like, well, I don't want to do this if you're not serious. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm really serious. Um, so we went into all that and he was extremely nice. But what I was looking for in a teacher was two things. One, I wanted 
somebody that wasn't my friend that wasn't going to give me the like, oh, you're killing dog. Like, I don't want that. I, I need honesty. And since we had no private or uh, personal relationship prior to this, I knew that he'd be very honest. But I also wanted to study. I didn't want to study with somebody that was generally good or quote unquote better than me or further down the timeline. I wanted to study with somebody that was the best in the world at something that's missing in my playing. And that was pulse. And I just mm-hmm. felt that my drumming, like I have, I can work on my independence. I can work on my speed and my chops and all that crap. But I want, but when Will does it, everything has pulse. His, his feel is just unreal. And he can be soloing and playing the craziest stuff on his noble and Cooley kit in that spaceship chair oh, from yeah. the modern drummer festival. And there's still pulse, you know? And I'm like, Oh, how are you doing that? And uh, so I reached out to him, and, and he couldn't have been cooler, and we started working together. And then I found out he was in Houston. So I think around that time okay. was when he probably had left the Yellow Jacket. So that was like a few years back, um, four or five years ago. And we became great friends, and he was very honest with me. And I still – I show campers all the time the first time I got a positive response from him. Uh, and it was just – it's like my favorite video that I own. It's It's maybe – 45 seconds long, he's in a hotel room out on tour, and he's just like, he's just holding the phone right to his face. He's like, MJ, what up, Doc? I'm cheesing ear to ear. Look at my teeth. I'm so happy with your progress. And I was like, okay. Like, if there is, if there is a Super Bowl trophy in drumming, that was it. You know, I was like, cool. I appreciate the Modern Drummer Educator of the Year Award. It's nice. Yeah. My mom has it now. But that video, that was everything to yeah, me. The, so. Yeah, the affirmation from your heroes. I mean, that no, oh. no greater greater respect right? than that. And knowing that it wasn't shined on through, here's my money per month. Type. It wasn't part of that. Because we actually had an arrangement where there was no money. It was just uh, something else that we were trying to do for each other uh, and help each other out in different ways through the web and, and through business and stuff. So he wasn't trying to get money from me. It was, he was generally trying to make me better at the drums and he was very, in a great way, very honest. And some of it was very hard to swallow. He had me playing Lee Rittenauer tracks where he would say, okay, I'm about to go on tour with Lee Rittenauer and this track Weckl did, but now I have to play it tomorrow night and here's the play along for it. Good luck. You know, and I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say David Weckl? <laughs> like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll give it a go. And But it was all in, in that um, course of giving us giving me more pulse. And what was great is he had never taught to a camera before, so I was able to then help him with that oh, and how cool. he delivers information to a camera. So that was kind of our exchange. But anyways, do you did you ever get into the Yellow Jackets when you were into the yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, Fusion-y thing? I think the first Yellow Jackets record I got was when Ricky Lawson was still in the band. Okay. Four Corners, I believe it was. Yep. But <clears throat> in college, I was in the Fusion Ensemble at, at the school, and we did a lot of everything. We did some Yellow Jackets stuff, which was a lot of fun because of the um, more of the world music influence, and there was some yes. sequencing. So I, I learned how to sequence drum machines and stuff by having to do some of those songs, which was a first for me. I took my old DR5 on stage and yeah, played man. a program, Conga Part, and and jammed over top of it and i love his sound like he, mm. his toms are just so rich sounding his touch is beautiful it doesn't have that kind of typical bright harsh kind of a fusion drum sound that some guys were going for just real kind of warm he had like the warmest drum yeah. sound of all those guys and super totally slick uh, so yeah i was a big fan 
He's still great, obviously. I saw him at bit basic a, a couple years, maybe last year, year before, and he's yeah, he's killing as ever. But you know, you brought yeah. up something. When in your lessons do you feel comfortable criticizing a student? Mm, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it's definitely based off of them emotionally and what I think they can handle. Uh, sometimes you have to also think of why are you criticizing them? Are you doing it to get them to realize something about themselves that they're clearly just not willing to realize? Um, or are you doing it to alert them to something that's just wrong and they're not advanced enough to know that it's wrong? So a good example would be uh, you go into the verse of a song and the drummer just goes straight to the 20-inch crash. Well, it's not that they're making a musical choice. They, they really just don't know. you know. So it's like, hey, just want to let you know, don't play the crash in that section. It, it's not really what fits. That's fine, but sometimes when – you know, when you just say, look, your bass drum changes every measure. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't think it does. It's like, all right, I'm going to have to knock you down to size here because <laughs> it really does. And I'm not mad at you. That's fine. But I'm telling you, no bass player can lock with you because you're playing a bass drum solo. So uh, I think the the bigger question for me isn't really when to do it because that's just felt out yeah. by the, the situation. The bigger question that I think we have to ask ourselves as educators is, what can be criticized in what order? So I can't criticize your musical choices when you have no vocabulary to make musical choices. So I have to think like, okay, there's nine things I want to fix about you. Which order do those go in so that they lead into each other? So each thing that I do criticize, and then obviously anything I criticize, I have to be willing to come up with a plan to fix that criticism. How does that unlock the next thing that I wanted to criticize about your drumming? Right. So, uh, and I think that that's all part of uh, the timeline of drumming is – and as an educator, it's your job to figure out like, yeah, that is wrong, but I can't fix that until we fix these four other things. So I'm not even going to bring it up. I don't even need to tell you about it. You know. Mm. Um, so imagine a drummer that plays a groove for you. They rush and they drag. Their hi-hat is the loudest thing in the groove, and then the kick drum pattern is inconsistent. Well, the whole thing's factually incorrect for yeah, what we're going yeah. for. Where do you start? And so being able to organize those and seeing which one is the most tangible right now that's going to make this student feel proud of like, oh, my gosh, I changed that one thing and everything sounds so much better. It's like, cool. Well, there's a couple other things, too. Yeah. So um, and you have to also gauge the student's willingness to work. Uh, 13-year-old drummer willing to work on their time. Probably not ever. Yeah. In the history of drumming. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, there's... Unless there's you're some... one of the gifted few who just knows that's important right away, which is something I'm, I'm going to talk about later when I get to my pick of the week, but it's so rare. The drum nerds, um, that are, I was obsessed early on. So uh, in the 21 Drums Camp Bingo documentary, Mark Juliana Bingo... <laughs> mentions that everything that seemed like work for drummers didn't seem like work for him. He was more than happy to work on it. It just yeah. never seemed stressful. So that kind of stuff is there are the few. But uh, but yeah, I think it just comes down to um, being able to work with the student. And Will did it exceptionally well with me. You know, at mm. first I came to him for Pulse and he said, man, MJ, you gotta he always called me MJ. Uh, you gotta You gotta work on that he always called it fellowshipping. Like you got a fellowship with this stuff, man. You are, you're trying to crack the code 
to this fusion song. It the code to this fusion song is in the four hundred fusion songs that led to this song being written. Right. You have to fellowship with this music. You have to listen to it. You have to have it on in your headphones when you go running, and not to try to crack the code or to figure it out. It's just on because you like it. Yeah. And if you if you don't, and, and luckily. Even though I don't have a huge taste for basic jazz swing, I really do love fusion. I, I like I like the jazz rules applying to fusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the the world influence. So, so yeah. So, uh, but if he would have said right off the bat, "Well, your time sucks. Yeah. Uh, you don't have any pulse because you don't care," and, you know, it would just been like, "Okay, now you just ruined my life." <laughs> so he every time he gave me one nugget that unlocked another door, that unlocked another door, that probably got us to where he wanted us to be the first time he ever heard me play. Yeah, but he yeah. knew, like, well, I can't do it all right now because you won't be able to handle it. So yeah, it's the, like a golf swing, you know. The art of uh, getting to the truth, which almost yeah. always is your time sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I mean, really, if you had perfect time, does anything else matter? I mean, everything else will fall in place, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. I'm gonna talk about it later, but that's exactly okay. what I've my affirmation for this week was. Nothing else <laughs> matters. Nothing. All right. So everyone, check out Will Kennedy. He is a monster. He is a great friend and just as great of a person as you will ever meet in the drum industry. So check out whatever he's working on now. Definitely check out the newest Yellow Jackets album. It's incredible. Uh, he sent it to me a while back, and I just freaked out over it. So, uh, But the good thing with Yellow Jackets is it's just a library. You can go back and back and back and hear some great playing. And then uh, definitely check out other things that Will Kennedy has done, and that will actually be referenced in my pick of the week. So now it's time for some gear review. And I have to tell you, this product had me... All messed up. I didn't know what it was yeah. because we're talking about the Forest King wooden snare heads, and they just make wooden heads in general, right? Not just snare heads. Right, yeah. Um, drum set heads, yeah. All right. And I thought they were drum heads, like with a collar and everything else, but they're more they're more like the big fat snare drum thing, right? They're inserts. No, they replaced the drum head. Are you sure? Yeah. Bro, I was... <laughs> okay, so I can see that on... <laughs> I am on their website. Now they have... Look, here's here's what it says in the review. The heads were easy to mount on the drums. Just replace your normal heads with them as you would any drum head. Okay. I, I'm looking at them right now. They are discs of wood. I, and I watched, I watched like nine videos. No, they don't sit on top of the drum. You have to take the, the drum head off and it just goes you do. Under, okay. the, under the collar. So, and this is just, and these aren't like um, fiber skin heads. This is a plank of wood. It's a, right? thin, it's a thin piece of wood. Yeah. But I mean, not like thin veneer. It's not like overly flexible. Like they stay around when you hold them in your hand. It, you know, I don't, I don't have them, but um, okay. I believe they're about the thickness of like the face plate of a cajon. Right. Which is yes. about what the comparable kind of sound is it's it's basically giving you like yep. a cajon kind of earthy woody clicky sound that Got you it. can you know put on your drum set it's i should get a set and really give you a, a hands-on but i've seen enough people using them in videos and stuff they're cool they're definitely cool they're good yeah. for alternative sounds using brushes and rods and and broomsticks and stuff uh even yeah. our writer was like yeah they'll, they'll definitely break if you use play them normal with drumsticks they'll, they'll definitely break Right. And that's what I was thinking is you have to go into this as a very artistic drummer looking for a new texture. This is not 
I'm going to try these out on the gig tonight with my two Bs. Yeah. They're, it's I not going to sound good. Of wood. Yeah, it's, not, it's just going yeah. <laughs> to annihilate it. Yeah. But they are um, cool. I mean, it's... Very cool. I would, it's like if you're doing a lot of duo gigs and you just want something to change it up, you could maybe put this on a secondary snare drum. And you have like a, right. kind of a cajony, earthy kind of sound. Yeah. They seem pretty cool. You should probably get some, too. We should do a couple demos of them. Yeah, and I'm actually surprised. I mean, the the cost is extremely low because these are beautiful. You put them on, and all of a sudden, you've just never seen actual wood on your head yeah. on the top of your drums, and it looks amazing. Uh, but for the 14, if you're going to do it on your snare, it's 24 bucks. Right, that's yeah, pretty affordable. That's I was actually really not impressed. Much by more that. than a regular snare drum head. No, so uh, I was really impressed. Uh, but yeah, it's it is a little confusing. Because, like I said, I mean they're they're just discs. They don't they don't seem to have a collar, so maybe they just fit perfectly into your rim. Yeah, uh, our writer Nick did say that he had to get on his drums. He had to use longer tension rods. So that is a word of caution. Okay, because it will it doesn't okay. it doesn't fold over the bearing edge at all. Right, it just yeah, sits on. Yeah, and then I would assume you're not trying to tighten it down and tune it like a head. It's just finger not finger tight, but a little bit more than finger tight. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, just enough to keep it kind of firm i said god they make and so the company is called index and they make so much stuff um they've got god a lot of stuff they make a bunch of different uh shakers they make even an iphone a, a beautiful wooden iphone dock and it looks like from the hole in the middle that it's meant to also be a speaker box um interesting yeah, they make a 31-inch uh, Jacksaw electric singing saw. They make a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then so they are the makers of the Forest King heads, and there are different thicknesses. There's the 100, the 125, um, and that's referring to the thickness. So they have thinner and thicker. And, yeah, I was, I was really surprised because I was thinking it was like the fiber skin or like an old calfskin right. head, it's not. It is, like you said, I think turning your drum into a cajon is the best analogy you could give. Yeah. I mean, that's. I would put them maybe on a small bass drum and take it out when you're going to do a percussion gig. It might be cool. Yeah. They do have one that has a, like a microphone port, so you could put it on the okay. front of your drum. I'd be curious to hear what that sounds like with a regular batter head. With yeah. this on the front. That might be cool. Yeah, I think they have a demo where a guy's using... Um, the wooden heads on the bottom of his toms and then regular Evans on the top, and they, it's the volume is gone. If you want to get rid of the volume of your drums in a gigging situation, this is the way to go. Oh, I mean, wow. it was crazy because I was like, wait a minute, he's got it on the top of his snare, which sounds like a cajon, but his toms sound like that too. But he had re- regular Evans coated heads on there, and then I realized he was using them on the bottom. So it's a uh, it's cool stuff but i would definitely guys go to indexdrums.com and then you'll find all the products they make there and what you're looking for since index drums is a large company that makes a lot of stuff uh, like i said they make heads jack saws electronic percussion they make phone docks they make hand drums so all you want to do is look for the forest king drum heads they also make a forest king snare drum like the actual drum you would buy the drum and it's the rim is specifically meant to mount this head and it really locks it in. 
but you could use these heads on any drum you own, including, like Mike said, bass drum and toms. So go to indexdrums.com and you'll find everything there and you can order it from there. And like I said, the prices are extremely affordable. But watch the videos. This might be one of those things that just really works for your playing. Now, do we have any audio? I know that you weren't the one that reviewed this product. No, unfortunately not. Okay. Well, then, guys, just go to indexdrums.com. You'll be able to hear the stuff there and see if this is something that might work for you. So, All right. You want to get into some listener questions? Yeah. So I've got a... I've got a few. This one's actually a follow-up. We were talking about the tennis elbow uh, situation yeah. last week. We had two follow-ups. One was an extensive response that we will. I'll probably post a link to that PDF so we can read Is it. Is that from Josh? Yeah, from Josh. But cr- another listener, Chris, he um, he said, obviously, the first thing you should do is go see a physiotherapist. Um, he had tennis elbow about 18 months ago, and what he found that got rid of it was to adjust his setup. And this is something that probably all of us don't realize we're doing when we play bars and small clubs is we're bringing the drum set closer to our body every time because you got to take up less and less space on the floor so he's that's what caused his tennis elbow was having the crash in four inches too far so he just moved everything about four to six inches away the crashes the right side crash so he's not tweaking over to the side and they said that stopped the shooting pains. Uh, the other thing, guys, and we've I've kind of shied away from this in the past because I don't want anyone ever to feel like we're trying to give fitness advice. But one of the benefits of staying in moderate to good shape is that you can play this instrument for the rest of your life. And there's nothing worse than saying like, well, the drums don't – I don't need to be in great shape to play the drums. And it's like, no, you need to be in great shape to keep playing the drums. And at some point, that's why it wouldn't be bad even if you're like, okay – I'm committed to potato chips and Taco Bell. And it's like, that's fine, but it wouldn't be bad to mix in some Pilates or some yoga into your life just so that you keep your joints and your body in general good, flexible health so that you can play this instrument forever. Because I would really hate that if, if every time I sat down at the drums, my elbow hurt, I can't even imagine the amount of depression that would set into my life because my entire life is built around the drums. So when I'm at the gym... And I don't really – I don't lift heavy. I'm not trying to get big or anything. But when I'm at the gym, I am thinking I'm just trying to stay in shape for the rest of my life so I can play drums forever. So right. um, it just wouldn't be a bad idea. So, All right. Next question. Again, this isn't a question. It's a follow-up. But um, okay. I think it was last week I talked about the Remo hi-hat clutch. Yep. Uh, so Ed, who was the guy who originally suggested the – Gibraltar quick release hi-hat clutch a couple months back, he followed up and said, uh, and I didn't realize this, that Gibraltar had updated their quick release hi-hat clutch. (laughs) This is silly. It's like a quick release. It's like, it's so low on the totem pole of things you need. And now there's a battle like, I don't know, ours is a little better now. It's now in solid machined aluminum. All right, go ahead. So he's actually sent a video for me to kind of see how it works. And it's, it's badass, and it doesn't have the uh, it doesn't have threaded rod, so okay. your cymbal won't grind on it. And it has like a ball right. bearing push pin kind of release mechanism. So again, Bro, you're such a sucker for this stuff. Well, it's like back in the day, I was like having to crank down those crappy Ludwig ones and stripping them yeah. out and duct taping stuff. So okay, yeah. so what's this one called? I actually want to see it right now. Gibraltar, what? Oh shoot! Quick release hi hat. <laughs> QR clutch is what they call it, I believe. Okay. I just want to see. I was just excited to see how excited he was to share it. <laughs> okay. Someone I'll gets my okay. nerdiness. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I want to make sure that this is current. 
but I have a few. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Gretsch artist, so that comes with anytime you want to try out something Gibraltar, you can try it out. Mm-hmm. So I have their pedal that kind of looks like the Jojo Mayer pedal, right. and I have a couple other things. I ha- actually do use their Cajon pedal. The biggest problem I have with Gibraltar hi-hat clutches, and the quick release one looks amazing, is how it attaches to the tent or to the to the rod. That squeeze mechanism they have, yeah. I always I use. I don't know if I just have a heavy left foot or I put too much pressure. I always push through it, no matter how much I. I have to tighten that thing with my sticks. Really? Like, yeah, and it's and the DW one, I I just do it with my fingers. So it's nothing against their stuff, but when I'm cha- we still have one here, just a normal clutch, but it has that exact same attachment. When I'm changing out hi hats, I never let that that because um, people will say, "Hey, can I go try the Benny hats on your kit?" Yeah, of course. And they bring it over, and I'm like, oh, don't put that clutch on mine because I, I just step through it somehow. So that's the only thing I will say about that. But that that just from saying it out loud, that could be a mic problem, not your problem. Um, <laughs> I guess what's the mic. difference? So the, the Gibraltar one has like a like a C clamp that, that pulls onto yes. the rod, whereas the DW one just has a straight-up thumb screw that just grinds thumb screw into that the is, Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the way you said it makes, there, makes the Gibraltar one sound much better. But I'm telling you. No matter what, I, I always have to clamp it down with my sticks, and so they should um, probably do something with the interior of that to make it grip a little better, so it's not it, just smooth. It wouldn't metal. be that hard, right? Yeah, just some kind yeah, of I mean, texture. Just coat it with something. Yeah, I'll call them today. Yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. All, All right. right. So here's an actual question. This will be our one question for the day. This is coming from Dave. Um, I love this question. So. Can one really tell the difference in sound between a three hundred dollar and a one thousand dollar snare? Ooh, I've been trying to Dave, justify spending a thousand dollars on a snare, but besides being in all of the name and craftsmanship, I can't tell the difference from playing them in a store or listening to them on YouTube. Three hundred versus one thousand. So uh, I actually I remember when Tama at Nam debuted a new line of snares, and they set up all their snares from a hundred to the Bell Brass twenty five hundred dollars snare drum. Yeah. At Nam with those tunings, it was really hard to tell the difference. Yeah, when you get the drum home, it's not that hard to tell the difference. Yeah. Um, but I do believe there is a cost that is a, a max cost where sound stops being part of the price, and now you're dealing with customization, man hours, difficulty in making the drum itself. Right. So at some point, you top out. I, I think really between four to six hundred dollars is where sound is kind of like, okay, we've maximized sound, but now I had to put this finish on it. It jumps to a thousand. Uh, we used maybe solid brass lugs instead of the, sh- the pot metal lugs. Now yeah. we're jumping up. Yeah. So what do you feel the same? I do. I mean, it, a lot of it is just how much does it cost to make like a bell brass snare. There you go. Costs $2,500 to buy because it costs them $1,200 to make like just right. to make the drum. It costs them that much money. So you're never right. going to get a bell brass snare for under a thousand bucks unless someone's going to take a loss on it, right? Which would just be silly. Uh, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. So first of all, three hundred dollars is still a, a pretty good price for a snare drum. I mean, you could yeah. you could get a, a Ludwig Superphonic for that and use yeah. get a couple Acrolytes for that, which are two of the most recorded snares of all time. So it, I think we're kind of beyond the entry level cheap wood. Um, yeah, you know, cheap metal snare range. Uh, so what I hear the biggest difference is if you play a, if you hear a snare drum in a room, they sound like a snare drum. It's when you're sitting at the drum and you can 
feel it's it's yeah. an intangible thing that microphones don't pick up. You're not really going to hear it when you get beyond 10 feet away, but you can feel it. And that's just as important for me to have an instrument that, that makes me feel something that gets my body vibrating in a certain musical way. I and mean, it, it, it's nuanced. Is it necessary? Maybe not. I mean, I think, but I mean, a superphonic does that to me too. And now I, you can hear the difference between a really high end made brass drum versus a mid range brass drum. You can hear it, but yes. it's not going to make the song any better. It's not going to make your, your ideas really any better for me. It makes me more inspired, which is all yeah, that matters. I, I think that's, that's what it comes down to is, you know, if somebody said, okay, this is the best sounding snare drum we've ever made, but it is in fuchsia sparkle, it's like, well, I, I, I'm not going to play it because I need it to be a package deal. I need to look at it and be like, oh, I love that drum. Then I need to play it. And then there's this thing of like hitting a, a perfect home run where you don't feel the ball come off the bat. It's like I don't feel my sticks hitting the drum at all. Right. It's just it's this beautiful, like you said, vibration that goes through my wrist, up through my elbow, into my drumming soul. I want all of that. I want the cross stick to sound great. You yeah. know, um, I, I all of that stuff matters to me, and that's what I'm willing to pay for. But I don't think that cost tells you how a drum is going to sound. That's the one thing I think people. I remember when DW brought out the Edge snare drum for the first time, right. and I think it was it was at the time that was like twelve hundred bucks. That was really expensive for a, a snare drum. And people were really bummed that it wasn't a Ludwig Black Beauty. And I'm like, yeah. well, it, it's a, not supposed to be. Did you think Beauty. that's – yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, the cost isn't because of the sound. You know how hard it is to make this drum? Do you know what it's even made out of? Mm, yeah. Look how thick that metal is. Like, um, it's, a, it's an engineering marvel, and it's not easy to make this. That's what you're paying for. Yeah. Uh, the drum sound capped at 350 on this one. You yeah. know, that was a 350 dollar sounding snare drum until you hit the crap out of it and then it was a Marshall full stack once you turn that drum to 10 something extra happened but if you didn't know that going in I I remember a lot of students thinking like but I paid 1200 it's not as sensitive as a superphonic and it's like really really (laughs) you think I mean it's of course not that's what so you have to know what you're getting and why you're getting it yeah the other the other point um well the most obvious point for me is if, if you can't hear it, then it doesn't matter. It's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, they didn't make a sound. So if you can't hear it, then just keep playing whatever you like. I think eventually totally. your ears might might grow and you'll start hearing some yeah. more nuance. But if not, it doesn't really matter. Um, in the Dude, other, it really doesn't. <laughs> speaking of that, did you see Ron Donette's, uh post about his solid steel snare drum? He's like, yeah. this drum was never found at the bottom of a lake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this drum was never touched by elves. It was so awesome. Yeah, uh, I love that guy. And I'm, I'm glad that people, because he, he used to just get a bad reputation because people didn't understand him. Like when those ads right. first came out, like, dude, aren't you like friends with these people and you're cutting them up? You, but right. it's, it's it's all out of respect and, and playful humor and, you know, just trying to differentiate right. himself. I mean, he he has nothing but love for all those those guys at those companies. But, right. you know, he's not afraid to call it out and say, look, I don't, does it matter if this wood was underwater for 8,000 yeah. years? Does it and really and what, I think what matters is what matters to you. I was telling a student yesterday, I can't remember, you and I reviewed a company a long time ago, like early days of this podcast – and they were making snare drums out of old cars and old jets. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, Providence. Providence out of Providence. the UK. Okay. Yeah. That actually would – it would matter to me on a level that doesn't matter at all, but it matters to me. Where yeah. I'm like, dude, this is a 1982 Jaguar. 
That's kind of cool. Yeah, like, I kind of just dig that for some weird reason. And that adds to the mythical nature. And you have to decide for yourself, too. Do you need to tell a story every time you explain your snare drum? Or can you just say 14 by 5.5 maple? Yeah, exactly. Done. So, yeah, uh, awesome. Well, you know what? I would love to do something with you when we have more time to research it, which would be, and we'll exclude my endorsements, but if we had a budget... Okay, I'm going to give you $400. Mike, go buy a snare drum. Mike, you go buy a snare drum. And I think that would be really fun for our listeners to know if if I was spending their money, what would I buy in under this you know nice affordable price range? I've so. already got mine done. Ludwig Super oh, really? 5x14, done. Done. 350 oh. bucks. I mean, you just can't you can't beat that. It's it's the definitive snare drum sound. Right? I love that you gave it the in art you can't win, but this drum wins. It, I mean, for that price, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm with you, man. I'm yeah. with you. All right. Well, that is our. Um, thanks for your questions, guys. I'm, I have no idea what type of sentence I was trying to get out there. <laughs> that is our thanks for quest five star. It's time bingo. for a pick of the week. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thanks for your questions. Keep sending them in. Modern Drummer, uh, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We appreciate it, and feel free to send in your audio questions as well. We do have a few uh, of those, so. so we'll get to those next week. All right, let's get to your pick of the week. What is yours? Mike? All right, so I was kind of flirting with this whole concept. So I had an affirmation. Uh, well, this has been in the back of my mind for, for years, that the most important thing for a drummer to be able to do is to have really good tempo control, really good subdivision control and really yep. good dynamics. You have okay. those three things under control. You can have zero vocabulary, you can have zero creativity and you're going to work and you're going to sound amazing. So, um, that just kind of always been in the back of my mind. Cause I think the biggest, I think what really separates the truly, truly great from the really good is this is tempo and subdivision control and dynamics. We right. just referenced Vinny Cayuto on that track Yep. He can play fives and sevens because when he play five, plays fives and sevens, there's no question that those are fives and sevens. They're not just sloppy triplets or something like that. Right. Because his time is just perfect. Will Kennedy, same thing. Um, so our friend Chris Brady from Aquarian has been all over me to get into some Jeff Picaro because uh, I've said many times that I love his drumming and I generally dislike all the music that he played on. So... <laughs> He couldn't take that. He was it was unaccepting of that. So <laughs> I love Chris. He's relentless. He sent me three CDs of Jeff Picaro tracks. So one is all studio cuts from various things, and two other ones are all bootlegs that that I probably shouldn't even mention exist. But bootlegs from uh, gigs at the Baked Potato. Okay. Um, and I gotta say, I'm a hundred percent convinced that he's possibly the best groove player of all time. I mean, I think really? he has got so much control, especially the bootleg stuff. But the track I'm going to pick is is a studio cut. So it's called Give Me the Goods by Ball Skaggs. It's off the album Two Down Then Left. It was recorded in 1977, so I don't know how old Jeff was, but he was a young man, probably early 20s at the time. His time is perfect, and I seriously doubt there was a click track on this. But the reason I'm picking it, the outro, he goes to a double-time hi-hat thing, single strokes, that is just freak show fast. Really? Yeah. <laughs> freak show. Like, it's fast singles. And he, if anyone else will do that, it would just sound like, sound like a spaz. But he's right. got perfect control over those suckers. And it just feels great, sounds great. So I'm, I'm 
knee deep in a Jeff Picaro phase, but that would be the one cut that I would recommend checking out. Give me the goods, Ball Skaggs. The album is down two, then left. All right, my pick of the week is uh, in reference to the person we featured this time, which is Will Kennedy, and it is probably my favorite album of my youth that wasn't rock because my my youth was rock and this was uh, this is an album called Bang Zoom by Bobby McFerrin. You guys probably know him, and I think I've actually had this as a pick of the week in the past. But I just wanted to bring it back because uh, Will Kennedy is drumming on this. I believe Jimmy Haslip played bass on it as well from the Yellow Jackets. So, and it, it honestly it could be the Yellow Jackets as the band for Bobby McFerrin. But it's Bobby McFerrin's album. The album is called Bang Zoom. And if you really want to hear why I love Will Kennedy so much, this is the album that made me just kind of commit to like, okay, that's my guy. That's you know one of my favorite drummers of all time. Uh, so Bang Zoom is the album. It came out in 1995. It's recorded extremely well. When you put it on, you won't feel like, oh, this was recorded in the 90s. You, can't, you would think it was recorded yesterday. And for any of you that only know Bobby McFerrin as the guy that did Don't Worry, Be Happy, this will change your entire perception of him because you'll realize he's one of the greatest musicians that we've ever had in this world. So definitely check out Bobby McFerrin's Bang Zoom. That is my pick of the week. Your dogs get their dad back. <laughs> Everything is good. Dig I get it. to go practice and try out these new prototype heads. Sweet. Oh, I am sh- really excited sh- to hear how that turns out. I'm excited to see what happens when I put a video of me on social media with no lo- – because they have no logos. So – Everyone's going to be like, oh, Mike left Aquarian. It's like, no, no, no. These are Aquarians. They just now, Are you going to do a no true logos. blind test and just put them on, or are you going to know what you're putting on? I, I'll know what I'm putting on just because I can see through the head what, what it says. Oh, okay. um, but, but I will do probably a blind test for sound uh, and just record them and then mix up the recordings for myself and listen in the car. Sweet. Uh, so, All right, buddy. We'll have a fantastic week, and I will see you next week. All right. Later. Peace.